know me, my name's Mark, uh, and if you're tuning in for the first time, I'm really glad to have you along with us uh, with our Kingsway Bunch. Uh, we are in a series we've been doing for a couple of weeks called Adrift 2.0. Uh, the reason it's 2.0 is because we did this series a number of years ago, and even as I listened to some of it, you can find it on our podcast from way back uh, uh, 2016. As I was listening to that, I realized, man, I just had this, this thing of sharing it you know, with the church, for the church. Uh, and uh, a number of weeks ago was reminded of it and realized how much I needed it myself uh, in this season of my life. And and so I've been learning some some great things, been bringing back to being centered on what this is all about, keeping the main thing the main thing, which is the relationship with Jesus. Uh, we're not doing a service to check a box and say, we did it. Uh, we're here to open our hearts to him, to know him, to be known by him, to allow his word to change us from the inside out. And so this morning, that's what we're, what we're doing in, in this part of the series. Uh, we've been talking about that idea of, of being adrift, which simply uh, means to be without purpose or guidance or to feel a little lost and confused. We've been talking about how it affects boats and people alike, how many areas of our life can be affected by this, this drifting. Marriages can drift. Financially, you can drift. Morally, you can drift. But we've really focused this time on, on the relationship with Jesus Christ, that that, that can drift as well. And, and when it does, it, it affects all the others. And so what, the reason we, we've been talking about this idea of drifting is that drifting with a boat leads to danger and sometimes potentially to death. And we said the same thing in our lives, that when we drift in areas of our lives, it can lead to danger and potentially to death in those areas. And so uh, today I want to share one of the stories. We've been telling lots of these stories of people who found themselves adrift in the ocean. And I, you know, this morning as I sat over breakfast with my kids, they were here at the outdoor service last night. I was like to my boys, I think, you know, their ages, uh, well, they're having birthdays real soon, but eight to 11. And um, I was asking them, I was saying, hey, you know, uh, tell, me, tell me some of the points from last night or maybe just one thing that it was about. And they were able to tell me every, every part of the story, every character, all the main points. And I was like, man, I am so proud of you guys. Like, I, it was just, uh, just, just bless my heart. I'm really proud of my, my kids. And uh, I, my hope today is that hearing these stories, it brings that truth alive in your heart like it's doing in theirs and in mine. So the story today is about a man named Louie. Uh, probably my favorite story of all the Adrift stories. Probably it's my, it's a favorite, my favorite book that I've ever uh, read. It's called Unbroken. The movies, there's two of them. One tells the story, uh, the Hollywood story of his life up to one point, and then there's another movie that shows the rest of his story. I encourage you to watch them both. They're phenomenal. The story is uh, that with, with Louie that on May 27th in 1943 during World War II, Louis and 10 other men were commissioned to fly on a rescue mission. They boarded this airplane. Uh, they, they called it the Green Hornet. And uh, everybody who had flown in this plane was like, that better be the last flight. Like, this thing is not safe. The instruments don't work right. And, uh, but this was the plane that, the, that was the only one available. And so they, they took off, and they were flying on a rescue mission to see if they could find a pilot who had, had gone down in a plane the day before. As they were flying over the Pacific Ocean, the instruments did fail. They got uh, drifted off their course and ran out of fuel and realized they weren't going to make it back to land and decided they were going to have to make an emergency landing on the water. Well, it didn't go as planned. They actually crash landed and uh, only three of them survived. Eight of them went down with the plane. The three that survived was a man named Russell Phillips, another guy named Francis McNamara, and then Louis Zamperini. And you have a picture of him here. You know, with Louis... Uh, they had this, they had this um, raft, a couple of rafts actually, that they could, that they could um, uh, s- sit in, but 
all of their supplies, their crate with their flares, the crate with their food, all of that went down with the plane. There was only just one small package of chocolate uh, in the boats. And and uh, they said, we're going to have to ration this out. But the first night, Mac panicked and thought, I'm not going to make it. And so he ate all the chocolate on the very first night. They woke up the next morning to find now they had no supplies. They were able to, to uh, catch some rainwater and survive on some of that. And they were able to get, catch some fish and um, survive on that as well. But one thing they noticed shortly after they ended up in those rafts is that sharks began to circle. They were hungry too. They'd bump up against the rafts. They would try and jump into the rafts. They were beating them off with the paddles. They would, day or night, there was sharks around the raft. And they, they, he said, you know, we, we'd wonder all the time, are we going to survive these sharks? Are we going to outlast the sharks? We had our doubts. You know, finally, they were spotted by a plane. And uh, they were just so excited. They were waving and waving. Uh, but what they didn't expect is that the plane would open fire on them. It was one of the Japanese uh, enemy planes, and it filled their raft full of holes. They had jumped overboard once they realized they were being shot at. All three of them survived that part. And as they got back in the boat, they spent the next eight days finding and patching holes and blowing up the, the, uh, the raft so that they could uh, stay alive and keep them afloat. And they wondered, are we, we going to survive this? Well, on day 33, Mac succumbed to the, the, the weather and the elements, and, and he died, and they buried him at sea. And they wondered, are we going to die as well? Are we going to make it? They said we had our, our doubts. But on day 47, they were finally rescued. The problem is they had drifted so far that they had drifted into enemy territory, and now they were rescued by uh, uh, an enemy ship and taken to a prisoner of war camp in Japan where they spent the next two years going through incredible trials. And Louis writes, you know, I wondered if we were going to survive this. We had our doubts. You know, I want to talk about that, that idea of doubt this morning because uh, I wonder if, if, like me, you've ever been in a place where you've had those seasons of doubt or you've had doubts that are kind of swirling like sharks in your mind. Doubt is that feeling of uncertainty, that feeling of um, confusion or the lack of conviction. There's a bit of a distrust for things you thought you knew and now you're not sure if you know them. And uh, it's that, that idea of feeling adrift in your mind. You know, the, the doubt, we were talking about how doubt can be like sharks swirling around. Maybe you've got some of those doubts. You're like, man, is COVID ever going to end? Uh, I don't know. I've got my doubts. You know, do the masks even work? Do the professionals, do they even know what they're talking about? Can I trust what I read in the news? Will normal ever return? Maybe, you know, those are the doubts that swirl. Like, is going back to school going to work? Is there going to be another, you know, is there going to be another out, uh, outbreak or is there going to be another spike later on this year? And just these wonder, these things that wonder and swirl around. Maybe for you, you got more important doubts. Maybe for you, you wonder, like, is my marriage going to make it? You know, I hope so, but I, but I have my doubts. You know, or maybe, you know, relationships with your kids are so strange. You're like, you know, are they ever going to call back again? You know, I have my doubts. Or maybe for you, it's like you've got doubts uh, about faith and about God and for you, you're going through stuff and you wonder, you know, is God, is God good? Does, does God care about me? I think he cares about me, but, but I have my doubts. Maybe you're so far to the point you're like, I don't even know if God exists anymore. Like, I hear they tell us that at church, but man, I, but I have, I have my doubts. And so I wanted to look at that this morning. Uh, there's three things that we learn about sharks that I find are very similar to how doubt affects our minds. Number one, sharks don't care what they attack. They'll attack anyone and anything. 
and doubt does the same. You know, she, uh, you know, as we read the story of um, Louis, he would say, man, these sharks, it was like crazy. They would attack the paddle. They'd attack the, you know, whatever was hanging over the side when they jumped into the water to cool down. The sharks would be right there. It was like they'd attack anything and, and uh, at any time. Uh, and a number of years ago, I had a chance to go to the Ripley's um, uh, Aquarium in Toronto, and some friends had sent us there, and it was a, we were walking through. Just I love fish, and I love seeing all these things, but we got to the end of the aquarium portion, and they have these exhibits, and they, they had this shark exhibit, and you could see what the contents of shark stomachs, and, and they showed some there, and you Google it, and you find and they find crazy stuff inside of sharks. In one, they found a pair of boots. In another, they found a whole suit of armor. One had eaten a tire, and another one had an anchor inside, and and I learned that the sharks actually have this God-given ability to literally puke their guts out. They can put their whole stomach out through their mouth in order to, to get rid of all the junk that they've eaten in the inside. And it was uh, the, that, that understanding, that realization that, that sharks, will it doesn't matter what it looks like, they're just going to attack. And if they find something or someone doubts the same way. It's going to, no matter who it is, it doesn't matter if you're like rich or poor, if you're man or woman, if you're, if you're old or young, if you're famous or no one knows your name, doubt has a way of just noticing and attacking. Uh, you know, we see it all through, throughout uh, the lifetime of humanity. You know, back in the Garden of Eden with Eve, you know, if you remember from your Sunday school stories, there's, there was Eve in the garden and God had said to her, hey, you know, don't eat from this tree. And shortly after that, the serpent arrives and begins to speak to Eve and says, did God really say? You know, it's like that, that thought. She, you know, you wonder, like, what was going through her mind? You know, God just told her, and it's like, did God really say you can't eat from that? As doubt begins to come in. Well, I don't know, actually. I, don't, I know that's what they said, but I don't know if that's what they meant. You know, it's, I find that with kids sometimes. It's that same thought, you know, I, well, I know mom said that, but... I don't know if she really meant that. And so, you know, we know the rest of the story. Eve took the fruit and we've been paying for her doubt for the rest of, uh, for the rest of time. You know, it, it attacked people like Thomas, you know, one of the Jesus followers who was with Jesus, literally followed Jesus around on the planet for three years. If anybody knew Jesus, it, it was Thomas. And yet Thomas is, is famous for, for one thing. He's not famous for following Jesus. You know, if you've ever heard of Thomas before, it's probably because if you heard of the, a doubting Thomas. Uh, it, that was his, the nickname given to him by Christianity, the, the doubting Thomas. And yet it's kind of an unfair nickname because all of the disciples actually doubted the fact that Jesus was risen from the dead. Thomas just had the unfortunate thing of being the last one to find out. Because Jesus appeared to his followers after he had risen from the dead all uh, 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 10 of them, and Thomas wasn't there. And they went and they said to Thomas, Thomas, man, I know Jesus died, but we just saw him. He's alive. And Thomas's famous thing is like, well, I'm not going to believe unless I can put my fingers in, in the holes in his hands. And guys, I don't believe you unless I can put my hand in that side wound. I remember where, they, where I watched him getting the spear going into his side on the cross. If I can put my hand in there, then I'll believe. But other than that, there's no way he's alive. You know, you might say so, but I, I've got my doubts. John tells us what happens next. John chapter 20, verse 26, it says this, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. You know, the doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. It's like, poof, he just arrives. And he says to them, hey, peace be with you. I mean, you can just see like probably the tenor like, hey, hey, he's back. And Thomas, I can just imagine him off to the side going, oh no, like 
this guy, when, when he was alive before, he could read people's minds. And you don't think he knows what I said, do you? What are Jesus' first words? Hey, Thomas, hey, why don't you come over here for a minute? Check out the holes in my hand. Why, hey, you know what? Don't just look at it. Why don't you put your finger in there? And it's like Thomas realizing, oh, he knows. And he says, and then he put your, put your hand in, in the wound in my side. And, and what does he say to him? Thomas, don't be faithless any longer. Don't be a doubter any longer, but believe. He later would say to Thomas, Thomas, you believe because you saw. You believe because you put your, your fingers in and in your hand in. But he says, blessed are all the people who are going to believe and who are going to trust even though they've never seen. I'm one of those people. Maybe you are as well. But that doesn't mean that doubt doesn't come creeping back in anytime it has a chance. You know, if you've ever had doubts about God or about faith or about Jesus, you're in good company because every Jesus follower has been there at some point. You know, it's, it, it doesn't, you know, having doubts isn't the problem. It's what you do with them that matters. It's what do you do when doubt comes circling? And that's what he said. Number one, doubts can attack anyone. Second thing we learn about sharks is that they come in quietly. You know, not in the movies, right? When you watch the movies, everyone knows that the shark attack is happening. Why? Because right before it happens, what do you see going through the water? You see the shark fin. And then what happens next on the movie? You hear the soundtrack. Even though there's no speakers out there or whatever, it's like the sharks themselves make the noise. You know it. Right? And it's like, boom, like everybody watching knows, man, that guy's just about to get, about to get eaten. But when doubt comes and when real shark attacks happen, the ones when they say the real shark attacks that, that are fatal, you never see them coming. They said with Bethany Hamilton, when she, the surfer, when her arm was bitten off, she never saw it coming. It's like they, they come in quietly and they come in to do damage. Uh, and it's the same with us. You know, doubt, it circles our minds. It comes in quietly. It doesn't just broadcast that it's going to show up. It's not like, you know, after the service, you're like, hey, you know, after church, why don't we just, you know, we'll go, we're going to go to Hewitt's for ice cream. We'll sit outside and we're going to doubt for a while. You never plan to doubt. You don't, it's not something you decide, hey, that's what we're going to do. It, it just, it just, it's just there. You know, you kind of find yourself alone sometimes, or maybe you've gone through something difficult and, you know, or you're just you're sitting in, in a spot where it's like going through some, something in life that you didn't plan. All of a sudden, it's like, does God care? Is God real? Does God, is, does he, does he, I know he loves the world, but does he love me? And the doubts begin to circle. You remind me of the story of a man named John, John the Baptist. He wasn't a Baptist. He was a guy who baptized a lot of people, but John was the precursor, the, the, this famous guy in Israel. He was at the top of his game, top of success, if you wanted, if he wanted to measure it. You know, it, it was him. So it talks about how John was, shows up at the Jordan River and he's baptizing people. And, and then Jesus comes along and John actually points out and says, hey, look, there's the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Gary mentioned it in the open. And actually, Brenda's talking about John next week. It's, I, it's, just, it's almost as if the Lord has desi- designed it for, for this to be part of the, the topic for us right now in this season. And this part, you know, as John's at the top of his, of his game, crowds coming to see him. He has these powerful statements he makes. That was the first one. Look, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. His second powerful statement happens a little while later when he comes before King Herod and uh, he's got all this bravado and brave. It's almost like he's got the first no fear t-shirt. And John looks at Herod and says to him, to King Herod, he says, Herod, you're living in sin. You're sleeping with your, your, um, your brother's wife. He's like, that's not, that's not allowed. That's not right. 
You know, we have a hard time picturing that, but could you imagine somebody walking up and going to Justin Trudeau's house, knocking on the door and saying, hey, Justin, you're living in sin, and, and then airing his dirty laundry? You know, it, it, Justin wouldn't like it, but neither did King Herod, and, and King Herod was just immediately arrested John on the spot, threw him in prison, and here's John sitting in a prison cell thinking, oh, I'm done the right thing, I've done the right thing. An hour, I mean an hour, a year later, John's still sitting in this prison, solitary confinement most likely. Here he is wondering, and, 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 the, and, the, and the sharks begin to swirl. Doubt begins to swirl, like, why, why am I here? Like, God, I was doing what you told me to do, and, and now I'm in prison. Like, I, it's been a year. You know, like, the Messiah, he's here. The guy who's going to, like, set Israel free, he's my cousin. Like, he's the one who should be rescuing, rescuing me. But maybe he's not the one. Maybe he's not who I thought he was. And the doubts begin to circle. Donna, Donna. And John gets that spot where he wonders and he says to uh, a couple of his friends when they come to visit him, hey, can you, can you guys do me a favor? Can, can you go and find Jesus? Can you go find him and just ask him if he's really the one or if I should be waiting for someone else to come rescue me? You know, Luke writes about it. If you turn with me, Luke chapter seven, verse 18. We've said, shared that part. Maybe it's in verse 19, uh, verse 20. John's two disciples go and do what he had asked them to do. They found Jesus and they said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask you, are you the Messiah that we've been expecting or should we keep looking for someone else? Are you who you say you are? And Jesus doesn't answer them with a word and say, hey, yeah, it's me. What does he do instead? He says in verse 21, at that very time, Jesus instead does this. He cures many people of their diseases, their illnesses, their evil spirits. He restores sight to the many who are blind and they're watching. Verse 22, then he told John's disciples, hey, you go back to John and tell him what you've seen and what you've heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. I am who I said I am. And I am who John said I am. And I am who John thinks I am. I am the Messiah. Go tell him that. And as the two guys begin to leave, Jesus turns to them and says, oh, and wait one more thing. Tell John this. God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. What does that mean, this fall away? That's that same, it's that word scandalizo, which means who are not offended because of me or who don't who don't uh, drift because of me or who don't have doubt because of, of something they don't understand. You know, John's in this difficult situation. He doesn't understand. He doesn't, he doesn't understand what going, what's going on. He's beginning to drift. And Jesus is like, hey, John, just because you don't understand, don't, don't drift. Don't drift. And, and so many, that's what happens to them. They're like, God, how come you're not doing something in my life right now? And it's like, well, if he's not doing what I expect him to do at the time that I expect him to do it, they begin to drift. The doubt, the doubt begins to circle. And the truth is that doubt, you know, will attack anyone. Doubt will come in quietly. And third, just like sharks, sharks come to take you out. They attack to take you out. And so does doubt. Doubt comes to take you out. You know, not all sharks are dangerous. There are some that aren't. But any sharks that attack you, there's potential danger in every single one of those shark attacks. It's the same thing when doubt attacks our lives. You know, my son Max got to go to Marineland a number of years ago. Well, we've gone a number of times, but 
he loves whales, and so he has a stuffed whale, and he brought it with him. And he and at the big, you know, the big event where you get to watch the dolphins and kiss the killer whale or whatever that that event, he's got his his little whaley there, and he's waving it. And so of course, they choose him to come up to be the the cute little kid that gets to meet the dolphin. And as he's standing on the thing, the dolphin swims up, and he gets a high five the dolphin. And and I was like, you know, it's, it's just one of those great great moments. Uh, but but you know what I realized they don't have at Marineland. They don't have a come, great the, come greet the great white shark exhibit. Come let the great white shark whisper in your ear or lick your face. Why? Because if, if a great white shark whispers in your ear, it's going to take your head off. And it's the same thing that happens with doubt. When doubt comes whispering in your ear, it's coming to take over your mind. It's coming to take you out. That's why it's there. And every shark that attacked Louis's raft, you know, it was coming to get them and made them wonder, man, are we going to survive? And sometimes the sharks would wait. They would just rub along the bottom of the raft and they would bump into the sides for hours before they would finally try their attack. Just wear them down. It was almost like they were whispering, come on, Louie, give up. Come on, Louie, just jump overboard, make this easier. Come on, Louie, just quit. Man, how many times do those things not circle our minds? Just give up, just quit. Is it going to work out? You know, Matthew tells us the story of a famous Jesus follower who really wrestled with doubt throughout his life. You know, he had been on a, on a, on a hillside with Jesus as he watched him feed 5,000 people. And he was one of the 5,000. And as he ate that food, he was realized, man, God loves me. Look how he takes care of me. Just a few hours later, that same Jesus follower, his name was Peter. He ends up out in the middle of uh, the lake in this massive storm. And now they wonder, God, are we going to survive this? And they see Jesus walking to them on the water. And they're not sure if it's him, but Peter's like, well, if it's Jesus, then tell me to come walk to you on the water. And Matthew writes this account down. He was there as well. Matthew 14, verse 28. Jesus says to Peter, no, he says, if it's you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. In the next verse 29, Jesus says, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water to Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. He says, you have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? You've got so little trust in me. Peter, why did you doubt me? Like you knew on the hillside that I care about you because I fed you. You know, like you've been with me this long. You know that I care about you. Why did you doubt? Why do you doubt that I care about you? You know, Peter... It was one of these guys that he would get it wrong and then he'd get it right. And he'd go through these times. And just a short while later, John tells us that Jesus is sitting with a crowd of his disciples, like all kinds of his followers. John chapter six, he tells us that as he's talking to them, he said to them, he says, you guys come follow me because I fed you with this, this bread, you know. But he says, but what you really need is the, the true bread of life, which is me. And the way he worded it just messed them all up. And, and a whole bunch of them said, you know, what? I, I don't like what he's saying. And it says they got offended. They got scandalizo. They began to drift. It was this thing that drew their attention away and they didn't, they didn't want to focus on him anymore. You know, scandalizo is like, it's like this bait that draws you away from what you're supposed to be focused on. Back when I, you know, you just even this, this earlier this spring, the killdeer were laying eggs on our driveway and you try and find the killdeer nest. And as I'm walking around, all of a sudden you always see the, the mother killdeer with her broken wing. Like they break their wings like so many times. It's amazing. They can still fly. But you know, the, 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 there's that mother bird and, and it begins to draw you away from what you're supposed to be focused on. That's what Scandalizo is. And that's what said to them. These people were, were with Jesus, the Messiah, the one who could save them. And they got drawn away by this thing they were offended by, the way that Jesus said something. And, and, and the crowd began to leave. 
John chapter 6, verse 66, it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. These are not just like many, like the, the crowd, the gawkers, the onlookers. Like these are the ones who said, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow Jesus. Like my life, and, and how many of us have said, I'm going to follow Jesus. It's them that the doubt creeps in and says, hey, we're going we're gonna to drift away because of what Jesus is teaching. Verse 67, then Jesus turned to the 12, the ones who are still there. And he says, hey, fellas, uh, you guys going to leave too? Everyone else is drifting away. But Peter stands up. Peter, our boy, who was like doubted not long before, says this, verse 68. He says, Lord, whom, to whom would we go? You're the ones who, have, who has the words to eternal life. Like, you're the only one telling us how to get to heaven. Nobody else knows that. Even though we feel like doubting, even though we feel like drifting, verse 69, he says, we believe. We know you're the Holy One of God. We choose to stay. Even though we feel like drifting, we choose to stay with who we know. I might not understand, but I'm not going anywhere. Similar to what Jesus told John, just because you don't understand, don't, don't drift. So this morning, the question comes down to us. Are you struggling with doubts? Do you have doubts circling in your mind? Maybe for you, you know, as a, as a kid, you're like, yeah, I believed all the Bible stories. And then you went to university and, and then all of a sudden it was like, I don't know if I believe all this stuff anymore. And the doubt sharks begin to swirl. Maybe for you, you're like, yeah, man, I know I gave my heart to the Lord. I'm following Christ. And then you, you ran into things that you didn't expect, a marriage that didn't work out, or your parents ended their marriage, or financially, it's like it just never seems to work out for you. And you're like, I don't know anymore. What do you do with your doubt? Let me give you three quick things. Number one, you know what we do with our doubt, find advice. You know, you can go online and find advice. <laughs> be careful what you find. You know, Ben Franklin said this, you know, when in doubt, don't. Well, that's pretty hard to just do, right? Or if you, you know, I'm watching a kid's movie called Smallfoot and they just said, oh, if you ever have doubts, you just got to bottle them, bury them down inside. Don't ask any questions. You just bury your doubts inside. The truth is, here's a few things we should be doing. Number one, when in doubt, reach out. Put words to the questions. When in doubt, speak out. Put words to the questions that are going on, that are swirling around saying, you know what? These are the questions I have. I'm going to actually ask somebody. You know, Jesus, as he was, he was doing ministry, he was unaware of John's doubts. But John was like, you know what? I'm going to find out. I'm going to put words to the, to the things that are going around in my mind. I'm just going to ask somebody because there was more to the story. And as man, as Jesus' answer came to him, it gave John the courage he needed to finish the rest of his journey. You know, so when in doubt, reach out, ask somebody. Second, when in doubt, weigh it out. Let, instead of letting doubt cause you to drift, let doubt cause you to dig. Let it cause you to dig for truth and to find the answers. Like we said earlier, we're not asking people to have a blind faith. That's not what Jesus called people to. If you dig, you'll find the, you'll find the answers. You know, somebody texted me this week and says, hey, I don't, this guy doesn't, he believes in there's all kinds of gods. And I believe there's only one God, but I don't know why I believe that. I think that's what, what we just say. And like, I don't know if we can believe in God. You know, the things that we realize as we begin to dig, we realize that through creation, there's a creator. Man, that stuff just doesn't just appear. Nothing just appears. Somebody creates something. And that creator, God, well, how do I know that, that he's, like, how do I know what he's really like if he actually cares about people? He says that through Jesus, he revealed to the world what God is really like. Yeah, but how can I trust, you know, what Jesus said? Well, Jesus rose from the dead to prove that he was who he said he was. No one else rises from the dead on their own. 
You're like, well, yeah, but how do I trust that that happened? Well, there's eyewitnesses. Eyewitnesses who risked their lives to write down the accounts. Eyewitnesses who at one point doubted just like us and who uh, something happened in their lives and said, whoa, no, no, we don't doubt anymore. We are convinced of what the truth is. C.S. Lewis said it this way, when it comes to Jesus, it's important for us to, to really take a, a stock of what we think of him. Uh, he said, if, if someone came and said, hey, they're, they're God, they're either a lunatic who's just crazy and should be put in the, the loony bin, or they, uh, they're a liar where they, they, they know they're not God, but they're telling everyone else they are, or they actually are. And if you search through and dig into the life of Jesus, I'd encourage you to find out which one of those three is he really. And then finally, when in doubt, go to who you know. Go to what you know. You know, when it comes to this idea of Jesus, and if you've been in that spot where you're like, you know what, I know that he's Lord. I'm convinced. I remember back when I decided to follow him. I remember forgiveness. I remember feeling and sensing his love. I remember what it was like to have that weight lifted. I know. I know that something happened in my life. Go back to what you know. Robert, um, Robert Robinson, he uh, is a pastor, age 22. In, 19, in 1757, sorry, he wrote these, uh, this song called Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And he writes about the, 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 the sway of, of doubt with these lyrics. He writes, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. He's like, man, I I feel that inside, that ability to drift. And what is his response? Here's my heart, Lord. Take it, seal it, prepare it for thy courts above. He's like, God, I know that I'm prone to wander, but here's my heart. You do in me what needs to be done. This week I spoke with a woman who's dying of cancer. It's a terrible, terrible thing to have to go through. Painful, painful needles. So I was talking to her on the phone. She just simply said, you know, Mark, I've got like incredible hope and, and joy. You could hear it in her voice. You know, she had this peace. She says, Mark, you know what? They're trying this treatment. And if it works, it's a miracle. She says, I win. But she says, if it doesn't work and I succumb to this cancer, she says, I win. I know where I'm going. Either way, I win. You know, what an incredible, profound trust she has in her Savior. And my prayer for myself and for you is that we each would have the same. And so when doubt's swirling, trying to take you out, don't let it take you out. Would you go to what you know? Would you voice those questions? Would you weigh it out and find the truth? Because he is the way, he is the truth, and he will always be the life. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you how it grabs our hearts. Thank you how it, it just, it's like nothing else it has the ability to speak to us and change us. Thanks for what you're doing in my life. Thank you for the chance to know you. Thank you that that, above all, chases those doubt sharks away. Thank you that we can trust you, hold up the shield of trust against any of the doubts that may come our way. Father, I pray for people today that may be struggling, wrestling with these things and thoughts. Holy Spirit, would you do right now in in their hearts and in their rooms what we can't do? Would you lead them and guide them into the truth you desire for them and set them free? Thank you, Jesus, for that. It's in your name I pray. Amen.